The presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. Lately, teachers from all over have been working together to find new approaches to provide quality remote education. Participate's sister company, Participate Learning, presents United We Teach, a global gathering place for educators to share distance learning resources as we navigate these strange times. For these resources and more, visit participate.com slash oneducation. If Anne Cosmo was a religion, I would be the head priest. <laughs> Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We'll talk about the new administration, discuss the relationship between educators and edtech companies, whether all teachers will get vaccinated soon, and our guest this week is Harvard lecturer and author, Laura Shifter. Glenn. Yes. Hi. <laughs> Hello. I- Ask me what I was doing right before we started recording the podcast. What were you doing, Mike, before we recorded the podcast? <laughs> I was watching Harry Mack on YouTube. Oh, dude. I tell, I love that guy. I can't get enough of him right now. <laughs> He's very good, but I think the best part about Harry Mack on YouTube is that he makes you smile yeah. and he makes the people he's rapping to smile. Yes. And, and I noticed it's, I watched about five videos mm-hmm. um, with him today. And the consistent theme is that he's just out there doing his thing and making people happy. Yeah. It's just a super positive vibe is a best way i could describe it for the people out there if you if you don't know who harry mack is go on to youtube please watch it and basically he is an impromptu rapper i'm sure there's a better way of uh of freestyle freestyle rapper there you go and basically he asks um uh, people on the street, or in this case, he's online, and he asks them for random words. He doesn't even know these people. He's never met them in his life. Just asks them for ran- three random words. And then he weaves in a freestyle rap with those words in it. Yeah. But the amazing part is that it's not just the words, because that would be one thing. That's that's it's difficult to do, and I would say it'd be challenging to do that. Uh, to do a rap where you're rhyming the words and then you're including the these random words that that someone gives you. He does that, but he really digs deep on the topic of the words, uh, and even in the behaviors of the guest or the person that's across from him of how they're reacting to him yeah, and yeah. He's including it live as he's actually rapping. It is ridiculous. And, and then of course the, the most awesome part is this kind of really authentic vibe that just comes uh, through the screen. Even, you know, you can just sense it and he's bringing smiles to people's faces and my God, I can't get enough of them. And Nicole, my wife is probably being driven nuts by how much, <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I've been watching of it and then showing her and I go, okay, you got to watch this one more. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. He's used. So he's been using this app called Omegle. Have yes. you, 
I've seen this come up on TikTok. That my only interaction with this Omegle site app program, whatever, is on TikTok. But it's it's literally like a random video chat matchmaking <laughs> service. Where you where you get paired up with people and you don't know what's gonna happen and <laughs> and it's funny in one of the videos he gets paired up with a guy who says all I all I all I see is I'll repeat what he says but he's yeah. he's yeah, bad saying things that all he all he sees is inappropriate stuff yeah. and, and um it's pretty funny and then the guy raps for him and it makes his day and it's yes it's it's pretty great but uh, I'm I'm. I am moderately interested. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I, I have no talent that I want to give to people randomly on a, on a, on a screen, even though sure, sure. that might be interesting. Um, but this, this thing is, is pretty cool. Yeah. So. I, I, I don't ever want to go on to that site, but I love <laughs> what he's doing for people. Uh, and just from all over the world. That's what's interesting about this thing. It's like yeah. not even just people within the United States, but just 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 uh, in all age groups. You know, there's those people from all age groups from everywhere around, obviously, our, uh, the United States, but all over the world, too. And I love positive things that come off like that to make me smile. Um, and I've been smiling a lot lately because of... You know, we have a new president. <laughs> hey, segue. Nailed it. Hey, Glenn, let's talk about the president of the United States. Oh, it's so awesome. And it's not it's not the old guy. Yeah. We have a you I, I say it's funny, I say we. Uh, I mean, the, the, world, the, world, listen, the world is celebrating mm-hmm. as well that Joe Biden. Papa Joe is the president <laughs> of the United States. Um, I couldn't be happier. Um, Kamala Harris is the freaking vice president of the United States. Holy crap. It's official. It is. It's real. Um, mm-hmm. It happened. It's done. Uh, governing is happening. Yeah, uh, we, a we lot skipped, already. We skipped a week and we probably skipped the worst possible week. Um, but anyways, yeah. we're here and listen, um, people have hope mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time, right? Yeah. And it feels like there potentially could be a significant change. I think I talked about it in the last podcast a couple of weeks ago, we were just discussing how, you know, everything that happened at the Capitol and how divided the country felt. Now, after the inauguration and everything kind of even after that, though there's some arguments and there's some policy arguments, there's always going to be that philosophical differences of whatever might be. But you know what? It actually feels like normal Washington, D.C., which is the discussion of policies and politics and uh, discussing how we're going to make the country a better place through different laws and um, you know whatever else it might be, it, it just feels normal. Is <laughs> the best way I can describe it? But in a very very positive way. I think there's there's uh, like you just said there's some hope. I think there's some bringing of people together, even at school, even with people of differences, you know, of whatever it might be. It feels like. Like we're on the cusp of, you know, um, of something better, you know, we're, we're, yeah. we're going to get through this moment rather than it was like before where we were like, 
when is this going to ever end? <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking about everything, like everything yeah, yeah, was yeah. like just piling up. And now it's like, okay, there's light at the end of the tunnel. That's what the, I'm trying to the, the source of a majority of the crazy was one person. So, you know, the crazy has left the room. Yes. And, you know, when the, when the, when the, when the majority of the crazy goes, you know, we can deal. Humanity has always had a certain kind of normal level of crazy. There's always sure. in course. the history of history, there's always been crazy people. There's a there's a great um, hardcore history episode of a of a whole town of Anabaptists right after the Reformation that that like locked themselves up in their town and just became like this Lord of the Flies village um, in Germany. It's like the most bizarre story you've ever heard. Just go back. And, <laughs> if you're if you're into like crazy stories in history, yeah. like that episode of Hardcore History is absolutely amazing. <laughs> and it's like chock full of like religion and psycho and equal parts of crazy um, mm. from a number of different people. And listen, so we can deal with, you know, a yeah. certain kind of level of, of you know, idiots and and craziness. Like there's always going to be that. Yes. Um, but you know, the the amount of fake news went and fell off a cliff because the person producing a majority of the the source of a majority of the frank fake news was the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. And when when he got deplatformed it went from like way up here to like way down here. You didn't see me move my hands, but Glenn yeah. did. And it was, it was, a, it was effective. Trust me. Um, so, you know, it, it's nice to be back to just like a normal level yes. of crazy where we can, you know, we can handle what's her name, threatening articles of impeachment on Joe Biden. Everyone thinks she's an idiot and it was, it's, it's super dumb. And it's like it will be summarily dismissed as crazy because that's what it is. And we move yep. on with our lives. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, th I think the lasting legacy of, of Trump, though, is that there are going to be there's going to be a little bit higher level of that normalcy of crazy people. Some of them snuck their way into Senate seats like Tommy Tuberville, who, you know, couldn't you know, discern his way into, you know, how government works if it was written out for him on a, on a piece of paper, um, you know, and then some of these other people, but, you know, we'll deal with it. Um, they have a majority in the Senate. They have a majority in the house. They have the presidency and the vice presidency. And uh, I think things are going to get done. And I'm feeling, um, I'm feeling like at the very least, I don't have to look at the news every day and just see what stupid ass thing this guy did next. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just going to be normal. I don't, um, I don't need to worry that, you know, the world is going to get lit on fire every day. Um, I'm, so, I'm so happy too, Mike, that he uh, has been deplatformed too. It's like this humongous megaphone. It's like taking away the giant, the biggest giant megaphone of the world and going, we're taking that thing away and it really does make a difference even though yeah. i'm sure his voice is being heard in other platforms blah 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 but it's not in the platforms where all the rest of us are at we aren't hearing it and we don't get to hear the 
the crazy um, conspiracies and that he still won the election, et cetera. Who cares? All that stuff. It's like, adios. And now we can go back to actually making this a, a great place, which it is with great people and um, fantastic ideas and and a way out of the the corona uh, virus and and the vaccines that you know being able to do all those things do all the stuff that we need to be doing and working together towards uh, a common goal which that's that should be the common goal at the moment um but it feels like we can do it and and like it's actually not only is it po- possible but it's like we're going to it feels like we are going to do it nice yes and so so let's talk about vaccines then yes um Tell tell us so so I can tell you what I know about what's happening in Ontario. Sure. Um, in Ontario, the vaccine rollout is is slow. Um, you know, we do have a terrible premier. Um, so kind of it is what it is. Um, he'll blame it on Justin Trudeau because that's what they do. Um, we have a sense that we're not going back to school. Um in person for probably a little while longer. Um, our, our peak has, we've come around the corner from our peak, we think. Mm. Um, so we've, we've actually, you know, um, come around the other side the last week or so, um, which is good. Um, and we're under the impression that all educators, um, in Ontario might get the vaccine sometime in March. Um, which is great. It, it kind of lines up with the idea that they may go back to school in person in, in at the end of March break. Um, so that's like the 20 ish, if a 20 ish of April. Okay. Somewhere or not, sorry, yeah. not April, March, March. Uh, okay, okay. somewhere in the middle of March. Okay. Um, we may go back to school and teachers might get vaccinated. So that means Cheryl will, will get a vaccine. Um, I suspect, well, the so the line from the government of Canada is that anyone who wants a vaccine will be able to get a vaccine by the end of September. Okay. So so that's basically, you know, what we're looking at is like a summer where uh, a large amount of people are getting vaccinated. Almost all teachers, healthcare workers, frontline people will all be vaccinated probably, you know, um, hopefully to be honest, you know, grocery store folks, um, you know, all of these people who've been forced to work, um, essential services and, and stuff like that will be vaccinated. And then it's schmucks like me who sit in their home office, um, (laughs) at at the end of the line. Um, so I'll be, I'll be decamped to my office for the better part of the summer. I will spend the summer enjoying my pool like I did last summer and not really (laughs) leaving the confines of my house. Uh, but that's that's where we're that's where we're at here. Uh, what's it what's it like there? Um, I think I mean, what I've heard is various stories around the country, which is typical in the United States. Uh, the the distribution of the vaccines um, is now is has been left to the states. So there's a specific amount that was allotted to to the states, and then they get to decide who's at the front of the line for uh, uh, you know. The best way I can go ahead and put it, um, and in Minnesota, just last week I had wrote some notes as far as like what talking about this topic, and I was super frustrated because 
it looked like it was going to happen super slowly. And we're back teaching. Most of us are back teaching uh, either in hybrid or many, many uh, uh, teachers are already full face-to-face. Of course, with masking and some other types of things, but still face-to-face in these times. So Things changed very quickly, specifically in the state of Minnesota. There was a huge uh, allotment that was increased as far as four, specifically four teachers and school districts. And so this week, my wife and I are going to get vaccinated, which is crazy. And the uh, a huge chunk of our employees of our district, so not just educators, but our paraprofessionals, our uh, our cafeteria. Uh, workers, our custodial staff, and everybody in between, administrators, uh, secretarial staff, uh, are going to be vaccinated, the ones that choose to go ahead and do that. And so that's incredible because we're not a super big school. I would call us like a a medium-sized school district. Um, uh, Many of the biggest school districts in Minnesota, of course, are in the Twin Cities. So for us to be able to have that opportunity yeah, it feels so awesome. Uh, it feels so great. So again, like there's hope, you know, there's, there's things. Now, many of you guys listening out there, I, I know are in a situation where it doesn't look good. It's grim. Um, and it's, and it does, it looks like it's going to be very slow to get to you. And, and that's terrible. But I think that the federal government's actually listening to that. You know, they're listening to that and they understand that our teachers, our educators, and all of the people that work within schools, that all educators need to get vaccinated if we're already basically making those moves to get back face-to-face. So I think it's great uh, news, great progress. Uh, Just the shift from one week ago to this week, again, that's only been one week (laughs) since he's even invaded presidency. It seems to be that's things are moving forward. So super excited about that. And, um, you know, for those of you that, that are still waiting, you know, as to hear, uh, I, I'm hopeful for you that, that you will also get an opportunity to, if you want to go ahead and get vaccinated. I, I just read today that teachers in New Jersey boycotted going back to school, um, yeah. because it was unsafe. And I mean, our, our, our mutual friend uh, Becky Latov, Steam Cultivator on Twitter, she she quit her job. There's tons of people who yes. did did that because they didn't feel protected by their school district. So I'm listen, man. I, I'm really excited yeah. for you. That's that's awesome. You've done a really good job of of staying safe. You've been um, very um, cautious as you should be, as um, anyone you know should have been. Um, and so uh, I'm excited that you're going to get your, 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 your caution has been rewarded and, and you're going to get a vaccine and that's exciting. Uh, I'm super, super happy. Um, listen, every few months, every, yeah. I think we have this conversation every six months or so where you get, <laughs> you get pissed off about, about something that, that some, and it's it's usually just one. I don't know if we're going to name them, but it's usually just there's one company, ed tech company. You get oh yes, you you get pissed off about it, <laughs> and then and then you 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 try to burn it to the ground a little bit, 
and I enjoy it. I'm here for it, man. I mean, um, but tell me, tell me what's 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 bothering you now um, with, so, with with ambassador programs and ed, ed tech yeah. companies. It's just an interesting relationship between educators and the ed tech companies. Yeah. Uh, ed, I'm just going to call them edu companies because not specifically always related to technology, but a lot of times now it really is. I've had many of those relationships. <laughs> Some yes. of them have been amazing and uh, very fruitful, I would say, for both parties. You know, a great relationship. I was, you know, equal partners. <laughs> mm-hmm. And some of them have been very one-sided. And I think maybe that's the biggest lesson uh, and the biggest message I wanted to send out to any teachers. Uh, make sure that you know you are you are going to get something out of the relationship. Don't feel bad about that. I actually, I'm telling you right now, if you are going to invest your time in uh, and being an ambassador or whatever you want to call it for any kind of company, make sure that you you know what it, it, obviously what does it entail as far as the time commitment et cetera and what do you have to actually do, and then also on the other side, um, make sure that it's going to benefit you as an educator first, of course, but possibly in other ways too. Uh, whether or not you want to be able to present at conferences, because we we know friends, right, Mike, uh, that have uh, had companies like help them to get to ISTE, for example, or mm-hmm. help them to pay for certain whatever might be, you know, speaking gigs, et cetera, whatever might be. Uh, help them to put them in front of audiences that maybe they wouldn't have had the opportunity to be able to reach otherwise. Yeah. Um, so just, I, I, what I want you to do is don't feel bad about that. <laughs> no. I think a lot of people do, they do feel bad. They're like, yeah, I don't, they feel like it's a friend, right? But just understand that's an entity and a company that's there to make money in number one. And Mike has said that to me several times when I get all emotional, cause I do, <laughs> and I go crying to him, uh, usually through text messages or whatever it might be irate or crammed or whatever it might be. In the end, he has to bring me back down to reality and go, it's a company. Funded by the marketing department. Every teacher (laughs) needs to know that almost every ed tech ambassadorship and their programs are funded by the marketing department. That that is where the money for your swag, your stickers, all of that Oh, I almost did it. And all of that stuff that they send you, yep, right, is marketing. The budget for whatever platform they use, whatever tools, the people who run the ambassador program are almost always funded out of a marketing budget. Yeah. Ed tech ambassador programs are marketing. Yeah. And that's good to just be front and clear about it because a lot of us get and I, I'm number one in this list. I'll put myself out there and maybe you also can, uh, maybe you're also in my, you follow in my footsteps where we get these shiny things thrown out in front of us and mm-hmm. the glitter gets in our eyes and our, our vision gets a little fuzzy. And then we get into places that we shouldn't have got into. And then we get frustrated because 
we've now gone down the road of this relationship and it wasn't exactly what you wanted it to be. Yeah. And I'm just telling you right now, someone that has been down the road, um, that just make sure it's going to benefit you and you know what you want to go ahead and put into it and that yeah. it's okay that you feel like thing and understand that as Mike just put it, it's marketing on their end and that it's not, it, they, they aren't your friend. It, they are, they, you know, it may, they may be very nice people that work there. And I've, I actually, you know, if I want to put one person on this thing, someone that worked in a marketing department, that was probably a person that I would call a friend even to today because she actually developed relationships with the ambassadors and that was unique. And uh, that's Bridget Heaton. So i sorry, Bridget, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry if I put you out there. <laughs> but anyway, I'm telling you that it is, it is unique in that way because it actually ended up being a relationship, a, a, a real true thing beyond the work that needed to be done on her end, she needs to do a job, um, and we were doing, you know, things. There's a kind of give and take there, um, but very rarely in the end is it going to be a true, you know, friendship or relationship. Just know what you're getting into, and that's my words of caution. Is and and I feel really good right now because I don't I don't feel like I have. Like I'm in the middle of one of those <laughs> devastating uh, relationships. I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm on, on the outside looking in on this and going like, hey, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I, I, I did, I did a lot of different things and I had a lot of opportunities and and and, uh, and now I'm I'm kind of on the outside looking in and I'm happy to be in that place. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's worth prefacing that there are good people working in all, a lot of these situations, yes. not all of them. And, uh, you know, so what would be an example? Like Anne Cosma at Flipgrid. I, oh my God. I, yeah, that's if, true. If, listen, yeah, if, that's if, true. if Anne Cosma <laughs> was a religion, I would be the head priest. <laughs> Of that religion. I okay. 100% agree. Right. Yes. So yeah, you're right. There are people. You're right. There are people, and some of those people are doing it right and yes. care legitimately about the people that they connect with. Absolutely. Um, you can tell that that's the case with someone like Anne because she has a body of work that demonstrates that. There's not the same body of work that demonstrates that across the board. There are companies that used to do this well that don't do this well anymore. Agreed. And it's because things change and people like Bridget are no longer there. Yes. And, <laughs> stuff, like, and stuff like that, you know. Um, but you are not, again, still, you are not allowed to feel betrayed by a profit-driven um, company that will always do what's best for them regardless of what that means to yeah. its end users and their ambassador programs listen if if a company is coming on uh tough times and they're spending ten fifteen thousand dollars a year on swag for their ambassadors and they need that money to do something else guess what's going away your swag bye-bye right <laughs> and i mean i mean um, you know, but that's how things can get easily chipped away. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then you feel like you're getting nothing in return and all they're doing is asking you to do, can you come on this video? Can you write this blog post? Can you host this chat? Can you yes. do this? And can you do this? And can you do this? And you're getting, you're getting nothing in return. And uh, I, I like that Glenn, like, it has to be, you have to, at the very least, feel like this relationship is improving my practice. Mm-hmm. You are helping me be a better teacher. If you can't even do that, then why are you there? For pencils? <laughs> Coffee mugs? <laughs> for, a, for, a, for, a, for a freaking gross branded mask? Come on, man. <laughs> just don't don't debase yourself like that you are worth more you are worth something to them that's why it's funded from marketing you Mm -hmm. have value and don't let that value ever be diminished and don't ever take less than what you're worth and um you know you need to feel like this is working for you Absolutely. And, and listen, if that working for you is again that it's improving the way I teach, you are helping me teach better. And that's all you need, then then take it. Right? Yeah. But there are people, and Glenn is actually one of them that yes. is constantly has constantly been asked for things. Constantly been asked for things. And it's also constantly getting screwed. <laughs> <laughs> uh i love that segment by the way <laughs> that was that was a good that was a good segment thanks for get it, letting me get those uh feelings out there and really it just it's my advice to anybody out there because maybe you haven't ventured down that road and you were thinking about it just know what you're getting into that's all i'm really saying yes <laughs> you stop being such a nice guy glenn stop saying uh, yes stop yeah. saying yes to everything Anyways, um, our, our, our good friend, Chris Aviles, um, asked this question and I saw it, but I, I think I was like cooking breakfast for my kid or something when I mm-hmm. saw it, um, yeah, the next day or whatever, but he wrote edu debate, self-defense should be part of a physical edu- should be part of physical education. What do you say? Um, I feel like this is a really easy answer. I, yeah, go ahead, bud. Cause I, I knew you would like this. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I do think, I, I think my only preface to this is that martial arts has a, a code. Yes. And martial arts has a history and a cultural history as well. And it's not the same as, um, I mean, baseball has a cultural history, but I mean, let's be honest. It's not the same as the cultural history of martial arts. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't, we're, we're not comparing the cultural history of karate to the cultural history and to the, the cultural kind of like narrative of karate that isn't the same as the cultural narrative of baseball, at least not in the same way. I think there's a great cultural narrative to baseball. In fact, actually, baseball is great and has a good cultural narrative. But what I'm actually saying is that... um. If you are qualified to teach a martial art and and or you can bring in someone who's qualified yeah, exactly. to teach a martial art, 
you should absolutely not hesitate at any time to do that. Um, even ask for a volunteer, and I'll tell you something. Let me tell you something. Speaking of marketing, yeah, let's hear it. You reach out to a dojo and say, "Can you get your sensei to come into the school for a week and and and, and teach, teach yeah and teach a unit on karate?" They, I guarantee you, they will do that. <laughs> yeah. You got to let them hand out the flyer, mm-hmm. right? After it's <laughs> over, they, they can they recruit. Take, yeah, that they can take to their parents. But I guarantee you, if you're a phys ed teacher out there and you're not bringing in someone from your community, your business community, to teach karate or taekwondo or judo or um, you know jujitsu or whatever to your to your 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 kids, you know you should think about doing that because they'll say yes. Mm. I'm just saying I wouldn't teach it to my students. I'm not qualified. Sure. I feel like it would be disrespectful, and there's a level of respect for teaching that specific sport sure that i want to maintain that's my take 100 percent. oh i love that take um and i hadn't even thought of it in that lens too mike which is that's a really good lens as far as uh the respect for the expertise level that's needed in those specific things just in general self-defense uh whether it should be taught in physical education i think absolutely so and it kind of leads me along a path of things that i think should be taught in physical education things like yoga uh things like lifelong sports things that you can play for your whole entire life not just played when you're young and able to kind of go and and you know and, and do things but these lifelong activities that you can go ahead and do anytime um, and be able to do those things and enjoy them, you know, and really enjoy the activities either with groups or sometimes as an individual to be able to enjoy those things. I was thinking about you and your passion for cycling and how cycling itself, you know, like just the concept of that, those types of athletic endeavors, I think we should embrace some of those things that kind of that we normally wouldn't have said, oh, that's the thing, especially in the United States where we're super uh, inundated by just a few sports, uh, football, number one, and then basketball, probably very high on the list. And then coming, and then coming in third uh, would probably be baseball. And those are kind of like the super dominant thing because that's kind of where uh, kind of a lot of things in professional leagues and so, and so on and so forth. But as far as our kids are concerned, I think, and now as I have kids, you know, they actually could care less about football. They could care less about basketball and baseball, which really hurts my sporting heart. Cause I grew up and that's all I cared about was sports as I, as I was growing up. That was my passion. Uh, not only professional sports, but me playing those sports, they really couldn't care less. But you know what? It's not really going to matter uh, in their lives. You know what's going to matter is that they are healthy uh, kids, that they participate in uh, activities that will keep them physically fit, but that they enjoy. So it doesn't always have to be these mainstream 
uh, activities. It could be a variety of different things. And that's why I love this treat, uh, this tweet, sorry, by Chris Vilas about self-defense, things like self-defense and yoga and cycling up here in Minnesota and maybe in Canada, snowshoeing, uh, cross-country skiing, just some different things that you could expose the students to that maybe they wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise and then to get passionate about it and then they can, they can do those things. So um, I think it's a good one to to bring up on the podcast and hear what you guys have to say. What other things should we be, uh, you know, teaching in our physical education courses? Minnesota is a huge hockey state, man. Oh, hockey. Sorry. I don't know know why you're not like (laughs) hockey. I'm not from from Minnesota. You're not, but you live in Minnesota. Otherwise I should have brought up, I should have brought up hockey. People are going to be really bad at me. But the other other sport, I'll tell you, you want to know what I learned, what I did in high school? What'd you Um, do? Curling. Really? That's super cool. So first off, everybody, I know almost all of our audience is Americans. Folks, you're sleeping on curling. Curling is dope. We get to watch it at the Winter Olympics. Everybody loves curling. Curling (laughs) Curling is the perfect blend of like strategy and complexity and um precision and athleticism especially if you're like the 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 lead the second or the vice that's the first the second and the third um throwers of the rocks so there's there's eight rocks right so each each curler throws two right who's the Uh, guy that's scraping the ice so the lead and the second okay okay so this is the order lead second vice skip okay one two three four okay you ready curling 101 Please second, second vice, vice skip. Okay, okay. okay. I've learned each throw two rocks. Okay. The lead in the second sweep for the so the 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 vice and the second sweep for the lead. Okay. Right? The lead in the second sweep for the uh the lead in the second or the lead in the vice sweep for the second. Okay. Okay. The uh the the um the lead in the second sweep for the vice and the the lead in the second sweep for the skip. So if you're a lead or a second, okay. you're sweeping a lot. Okay. Sweeping is hard. It looks intense. It's exhausting. It looks intense. I, it I, is a real yeah. workout, folks. So like <laughs> If you have a curling club in your general vicinity, yeah, there's there's also like in Canada, anyways, there's a great tradition. Like curling is awesome, and the tradition of curling, like the club atmosphere mm. and like the the community that you can develop from curling, and you know there are kids that are curling kids. Like there are hockey kids or baseball kids and they, they grow up together and they curl all through their adult lives together and like all of this stuff. And so you, you become part of a community. Um, and, and you know, the post curling beers are always, are always good. Like that's a, that's a legit tradition. That's how you know it's Canadian. Um, and, and you know, but curling is really hard. Mm. And, and so listen, um, I, I, I'm, well, you were talking, I was literally looking for a curling club 
in, in the Sock Rapids area, and, <laughs> I, and I don't I don't see one, but there might be one in St. Cloud, which is that's also, right by me, <laughs> also right by you. So you should check out whether there's a curling club in St. Cloud, and I I demand that you that you that you go try curling uh, okay. with you and your kids and your yeah. wife go to the family there's almost always like free nights where you can go and like there'll be like experienced people that will take you through it and teach you how to do it you won't have to buy anything they have the brooms they have all the things <laughs> um and and you can just go and have a good night and see if it, it's up your alley but i i i legit think that's <laughs> Not enough people are into curling, and maybe that'll be my mission to make more Americans curl. Um, <laughs> I, love it. I, would, I would love to actually get into curling again. Uh, I used to curl very competitively, mm. very, very competitively. So I was on my high school team, um, which you know wasn't like the most popular high school team in our school, but it was okay. Uh, and I felt I felt good, and and as an adult, I I curled um and 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 won a couple of tournaments and stuff like that. Uh, so I I'd like to get into it. I I think the Irvins should should curl. <laughs> really, what I'm getting at. Yeah, well, it's I think that's that's a challenge. We're gonna do it. <laughs> it so exists have, around here. We can do this. <laughs> so we have hope. We have hope for Joe Biden. We have hope for vaccines. Uh, and we have hope that Glenn and family will curl. Um, and so that's a, that is a lot of hope for one episode. Um, when we come back, we will be talking to Laura Shifter. So stay with us. Welcome back. Our guest is a lecturer on education with the Harvard Graduate School of Education, where she teaches courses on federal policy and special education. She's a senior fellow with the Aspen Institute leading the K-12 Climate Action Initiative and a fellow with the Century Foundation. After graduating from college, she taught elementary school in San Francisco. She earned her Ed D in education policy, leadership and instructional practice and an Ed M in mind, brain, and education from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. We're thrilled to have her on the podcast with us now. Welcome to On Education, Laura Shifter. Thanks so much for having me, Mike and Glenn. It's it's exciting to be here. It's fun introducing people with such a long list of credentials. There's a <laughs> lot to go over there, and that's exciting. Anyways, we're we're thrilled to have you on. And I was saying before we got started that I'm a bit of a policy wonk, as our listeners would know. So I, I'll talk policy all day. Um, Laura, Joe Biden has been the president now for about a, a week, and we've seen a flurry of activity. We were talking about that before we went live as well, uh, mostly in the realm of executive actions. Some of these is executive actions have been around the issue of climate change, which I think is a relief to a lot of people, uh, to say it mildly. And while I think you can safely say that almost all of the kind of the tentpole issues of the Biden administration are important to students, things like racial equality and uh, getting over the coronavirus pandemic, um, I think it's safe to say that the environment is an issue that directly impacts young kids, our students. So I guess to 
set up a series of questions. The first question is, how much impact does the education system have on the environment? Yeah. So the education system is a large public sector. I mean, there are, when you actually think about it and take a step back, there are over 98,000 schools across the country. Um, those schools are the second largest consumers of energy in the public sector for public sector buildings. Um, they operate the largest mass transit fleet in the country with 480,000 school buses. They serve over 7 billion meals annually. All of that comes with um, an environmental impact. So uh, our school system itself, um, you know, contribute to carbon emissions and actually have a real big role to play in um, reducing that environmental impact. What do you suspect uh, the Biden administration will do in the realm of education to stem the tide of climate change? Yeah, so one of the things that we're really hoping to see and, and, you know, I think we'll continue to see more over the next couple of weeks is how the Biden administration is approaching climate change ac across all agencies. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that we have been working a lot um, in trying to do with the Aspen Institute is trying to make sure that in this cross-agency work that they're including the Department of Education. So one of the big things that, that they have done um, is they've established an Office of Domestic Climate Policy within the White House, and Gina McCarthy is leading that up. Um, and part of that effort is going to be on coordinating climate action across different agencies. Um, one of the things that we would like to do is to make sure the Department of Education is a part of that. Um, but our education policies don't just live there. So what we're hoping to see the um, administration do is um, a range of things to help schools address climate change from investing in school infrastructure to help schools actually transition to renewable energy, um, reduce that environmental footprint and save money in the long term and doing some of this stuff. We hope to see the Biden administration provide some support for school districts in providing professional development um, to help make sure that teachers have what they need in order to teach about climate change in the classroom. And it's not just teaching about the climate science, it's teaching um, students about things like concepts like energy and also how they can take action within their own community. Um, so all of these things the, the Biden administration can start doing. Um, and one of the big things that they can do without any of that action is just start talking more about the role that education can play in fighting climate change and trying to connect those dots. Because oftentimes people leave education out of the conversation and yet education can be a big part of climate solutions. It's everything. It's everything. Mm -hmm. In every way. Uh, I'm curious, actually, you know, so we know that history education is taught differently all across America. We know that a lot of, um, you know, science education is taught differently all across America. How is um, environmental science, especially I'm, I'm super interested in how it's taught at like the elementary level and like the middle school and early high school years which is like the real formative years where you can really like influence a kid's you know behavior and mind as far as like these things are concerned um how is it taught across the board there and 
um is there is there work that needs to be done do you think in um making sure that the message and the 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 science is first and the the goals are equal kind of across the board across the whole country i don't think that that's the way it is now is it yeah so it's it's you know as you would expect in america's public education system is it's quite variable um and one of the things that we've done is um we released a state policy landscape looking at some of this stuff of course you know, our most comparable metric for looking at this across the country right now is state standards um, to try and see where um, climate change and sustainability are taught in schools. And, you know, one of the things that we found is the next generation um, science standards has climate change really integrated across the standards. And I believe it's uh, 22 states that have adopted the next generation science standard, but 29 states have climate change in their science standards um, taught as human caused in particular climate change. Um, but then looking at things like sustainability and thinking about, you know, humans impact on the environment and how that relates to things like in social studies, um, concepts of sustainability are only included in social studies standards in five states, um, you know, across uh, across the country and addressing climate change through that work. Um, and so I think, you know, what we really have seen is a lot of variability, but there are some really um, interesting and best practices to look at. There's, there's a program you talked initially about, um, that early age group and there's a program called learning in places and one of the principal investigators with that initiative is um, a woman who we're working with with k-12 climate action her name's megan bang and what they're really looking to do with that work is not just say you know um it's about teaching climate change it's really teaching students about the way that they're interacting with the environment and thinking about the mm -hmm. ecosystems all together and really changing people's um, perceptions and relationship with the environment and their community. Um, and so it's exciting to kind of see and learn more about this work. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do is, is try and elevate some of these stories that are going on. Uh, because, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are interested in this topic and want to start doing it. And so they're trying to look to find out where it's being done and how to do it better. It's interesting. Um, you know, so Glenn and I earlier in the podcast episode talked about, you know, the new administration and just the general sense of, you know, maybe a 250-ish pound weight lifted off all of our shoulders, maybe even more. I, I don't want to guess. But also just the general sense of, you know, relief, the collective sigh of relief that I think the world expressed last week. And uh, I'm I'm curious what your level of optimism is uh, about our ability to do all of this i mean we know that this is a problem we feel like we have the right people in place to make it happen you know there's still you know a senate i guess that's you know pretty uh divided and and it's going to be hard to 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 do some things in, in that regard um you know on a on a scale of one to ten where's your where's your hope level that that things can actually get get done um, I wish I had a crystal ball and saying it would be a 10 oh, across the board in, in every way. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I teach on federal policy and I think 
one of the things that we're always talking about in the class that I teach on is is recognizing and trying to take advantage of the policy windows that open. And this is a major policy window that is opening. You have a change in administration. You have a really significant um, change in kind of ideological perspective from um, the outgoing administration to to who's coming in. And even though you have you know tighter margins within the House and the Senate, um, there is a real opportunity to try and move some um, big proposals because you also have the fact that we're dealing with an unprecedented crisis with COVID and climate change and these things are barreling down on us. Um, and so I think it's figuring out ways to bring people on board to try and pursue moving an agenda forward. And, and you know, truthfully, I think um, uh We'll see how things go with the COVID relief package, um, but also thinking about things like investing in school infrastructure is something that could have a lot of bipartisan support. It's going to get people back to work. You know, we have this economic crisis. It's a way to invest money um, that can be a good one-time federal investment and really make a difference for schools across the country. Um, things like investing in career and technical education has bipartisan support. So I think it's, I think there's a window of opportunity, and I think it's really um, up to us to do a lot of the work and, and to to bring people on board with an agenda to make sure that something gets done. So let's shift gears a bit and talk about your book. How did how did you get here? Students with disabilities and their journeys to Harvard, uh, which the book offers clear accounts of the challenges and biases that young disabled students um, have encountered. Can you tell our listeners more about the book and maybe even about your journey writing it? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, when I was getting my master's actually in education, um, I'm not sure if you are aware, but I'm I'm dyslexic, and um, one of the main reasons why I entered the field of education to begin with is because of the impact that teachers had on me growing up. Um, when I had teachers that uh, lowered expectations for my success or um, didn't really provide me with accommodations, I found that. Uh, I didn't enjoy school and, and I didn't do as well in the class. But luckily, I had a lot of teachers on the reverse of that who held me to high expectations, found ways for me to reach those expectations in the class and really helped motivate me um, to follow an academic uh, career. And I think, you know, what really drove me to education was feeling that personal impact that teachers had on my own um, success and wanting to enter education to try and figure out ways to have more students be able to have those opportunities that I benefited from. Um, and when I was getting my master's, I was lucky enough to take a class with Tom Hare, who is an amazing mentor. Um, he was actually head of special education under uh, President Bill Clinton. Um, but he was one of the first teachers I really had day one when I told him I was dyslexic and he embraced that wholeheartedly and could not be more thrilled to have um, a student with a disability in his class. Um, and shortly after that year, he started to talk to me about, well, we should start writing a book about more students with disabilities who have gone to Harvard. Um, and so I connected with him on that. We identified several students 
um, that Tom had taught at Harvard who had disabilities, various disabilities from learning disabilities like my own um, to visual impairments, hearing impairments, um, a few students who are deaf blind, students with cerebral palsy, and really talking to them about their journeys to getting to Harvard. And what we really found um, in talking to people is that a lot of us had very similar themes in our lives that enabled us to have success. Um, some of those themes were having really um, strong uh, parents or caregivers who really held us to high expectations and didn't let um, other people kind of lower expectations for our success. Um, having those teachers in place who were really cheerleaders and, and really helped push people along um, figuring out ways to kind of advocate and self-advocate a lot was required of students. And developing strategies um, is one of the biggest things. Often, I, I think the students that we had spoken to um, were rarely taught explicit strategies on how they learned best, but students kind of figured them out on their own, which helped them then succeed. It's amazing, the, the power of a good teacher. I mean, we're we're here talking to we have you on to talk about policy and it still comes back to something like that, which is amazing how, you know, we get we get there in every way. But man, oh, man, like to, to have dyslexia and, you know, you're a Harvard professor who writes books and, and talks about, you know, environmental policy in education. I mean, it's it's an, it's an incredible accomplishment. And um, I, I I absolutely believe that there's there's got to be a common thread to some of this, and it's got to be having you know you said good parents, but you know good teachers, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I just I you know I think back on it, and I remember you know I remember my fifth grade teacher who I I was like stumbling in fifth grade, and um, you know she was all of my papers that I would write would be like one sentence. I, you know, I went to the park, it was fun. And that was it because I didn't want to write anything else because I was worried about misspelling things. I was worried about how my writing would look. And I remember her just sitting down to me, sitting down with me and saying, I want to hear everything that you have to say. I don't care about the spelling. I don't care about the punctuation. Just get out what, what you want to say. And then we'll go back and deal with that later. And just it, it, being accepting of that um, was one of the, you know, one big thing for me. And I had, I was lucky enough to have teachers all across my um, schooling that just really did provide me those opportunities um, and, and help me achieve what I was able, capable of achieving. So Laura, how can our listeners connect with you online, maybe even lead us to where we can purchase your book? Um, so, uh, you can, um, follow me. I'm on Twitter at, at LA shifter 12. Um, and you can find me online on, um, the Harvard graduate school of education webpage. And that would be one place where you could link to the book as well. Laura shifter. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod.com. 
Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.